Well, it is a delight to be with you this morning. I want to jump right into this. Uh, one of the goals I think is uh, good to have is to try to beat those other breakout groups to the, to the lunch line, right? <laughs> we, do have, uh, we do have that exception clause that has been given, the, uh, the gluttony exception clause. We need to utilize that. Uh, main goal, though, we, we want the Lord to work, to use this time. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's ask for his help. Father, it is encouraging to see this room full men who desire to know and to grow in what it is to give their lives for the good and the sharpening and the edification of others. It is why we are here to serve and to serve in this great commission. And so, Lord, I do ask that you would raise up men, that you would stir in them a passion to give their lives, to see others know you, and to pursue you with the whole heart. So use this time for the glory of our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I would like to begin by saying that I do believe that you have made a bold choice in coming to this conference, I don't have to remind you that we are living in a culture right now that is casting a very suspicious eye on authority and on men. It's got a title to it, right? Toxic masculinity. And here you are attending an Iron Man conference, right? How audacious of you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, before we get canceled, I think we'd better define what it means to be an Iron Man. And as, as we saw, some people got quite a pretty good group that have never been here before. And, and you are probably recognizing uh, there's not like push-up contests happening around here. I mean, Iron Man can kind of sound like a, an athletic trainer conference or something, and now that's not that's not happening. There's no push-up or push-up contests happening. Uh, we know why that would be embarrassing for most of us, uh, and we do have the exception, the gluttony exception clause that has just been put out to everybody. Get fat today. All right. So this is not the kind of Iron Man that we are aiming for. What we are looking at has been given a biblical word picture, and y and most of you know it. Right? It is Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The iron men that we want to be are men that sharpen other men. You know, there's actually a profession out there called the cutler. That's kind of what we titled this session for, the cutler. And as you probably put together, uh, sounds like cutlery. It's, this is a person whose profession, their, their job is to make knives. They're a knife maker, but not only a knife maker, but a knife sharpener. And as we even heard in our, our previous session, that is an excellent thing, a sharp knife. It is doing what it's supposed to do. Well, a sharp knife is great, but a sharp man is eternal. 
And there is a biblical word for sharpening people, and it is the word discipleship. And that is what this break I- breakout is about. Uh, the truest Iron Man of this conference, the most Iron-ish man that is here, I believe is answered by the question, how well do you sharpen other men? And how well are you sharpened by other men? We want to be spiritual cutlers. That is our goal. Now, Pastor Mike, he had one verse, and what I'm doing this morning is really just looking at at a phrase, and it is that second half of the Great Commission. We are talking about Great Commission work here, and so really, just wanting to kind of fill out and, and draw out that command of teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. That's what we want to do. We want to, to fill that out. What does this entail? How can we do this better? That is our focus. And so, two big goals for our time. Uh, the first is to call you up into this task. I'd like to kind of lay out a, a vision, a grand and glorious vision for what discipleship is. And, and then <clears throat> to think a little bit more on the equipping side of stuff. <clears throat> the practicalities, uh, a vision of the practicalities of discipleship. So first, a glorious vision of discipleship. Now, there is something that can happen at conferences. I've, I've been to enough conferences over the years to know that it is possible for something to happen that is counterproductive. Uh, basically, you can just kind of come away feeling like a loser, right? Man, I'm, I'm dirt. Because what well, you're hearing, these great speakers, they're smart, they're articulate, they're doing these great things, and they've got all these great approaches. And you're like, I'm, I'm nothing. I am nothing, right? Now, this is a little different than conviction. We want conviction, like this is wrong, things need to change and, and grow, but, but there is also that feeling of, oh man, this is, this is terrible. And that is, that is not good. Now, I'm not wanting to throw just kind of a blanket statement of disparagement upon big works and big churches and, and big accomplishment and men who've been gifted. That's not the case. And, and we can say that because Jesus, he did he did some big things. Yes, he did. But he also did small things. He spoke to huge crowds. He did heal masses. He interacted with influential, influential people of the day. But he also did small scale. He had a small group of men. He spent time with obscure people. He gave great attention to individuals and to their individual issues. And that is where I want to encourage you. When we talk about discipleship, we're talking about iron sharpening iron, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. We are primarily talking about small scale. And I want to explain that some, because there is a corporate 
thing that does happen. Discipleship does have a corporate level to it. And that corporate level is the local gathered body of the church. The local church. Because it is at the local church where truth is put on display in really its fullest and most glorious and grandest way. That should be what the, the morning is. Not, not production and high gloss and, and glitz, but excellence, passion, zeal, love. This is where men are leading in the church. This is where the Bible is being taught. It is being rightly divided. We're serious about it because we want to know the truth. It's where prayer is being lifted. It's where emotions are being channeled through song. It's where we're speaking one to another. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. So this is kind of the corporate level of discipleship. This is where it starts. This is where kind of the, the highest level is being seen. And so at that level, yes, we're talking it, it is bigger. It is corporate. It is organized in, 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 in particular ways. But that has to move out into the lives of the members and then through those lives of the members. And that is where it necessarily becomes small scale. Eventually, people have to get eyeball to eyeball with somebody or a few. It is it becomes necessary. Which means you and me in, in our littleness and our struggles and our inadequacies, which for some conferences, and it's really not this conference, this is why I'm very thankful for this conference, but some conferences, those, those rise to the surface in a, in a crushing kind of way. But here I'm letting you know that it is the littleness and, and the normalcy of your life and the regularness and, and the issues and the problems. That is where discipleship is happening. That is the ground level stuff where people need to have eyeball to eyeball context in the real world with real stuff. My friends, you are where ministry is to happen. It is, as I'm saying, happening at a preaching level, in a preaching service, and, and in organized things like that, but it gets through and must go out into every, every member ministry where it is loving others so much that you want to pour your life into them. And you're teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So my friends, you are the ministers. You are the critical key for bringing truth home for true change in the life of another believer. You are the key. As one person has said, and I, I, I love this statement, if you want to communicate a truth, wrap it in a person. Do you know why I rest in the fatherhood of God. It's because I see it in Scripture, but I've seen it in my dad. Do you know how I know about loving and probing accountability? It's because I see it in Scripture, and I have seen it in Steve's severance. 
How do I know about the glories of a humble pastor? Because I see it in Scripture. And I have seen it in B.J. Chapman. Why do I want to hold tenaciously and unflinchingly to the Word of God? Because I see that in Scripture and I have seen that in the ministry of Damien Efta. And all of these guys are guys that you don't know. You're probably never going to know. They don't have books and they don't have big ministries. But they have shaped my life. They are why I'm here. You probably know, especially you science buffs, that sound moves through the air at about 300 meters per second in the air. It moves about 1,500 meters per second in water. But sound actually moves through iron at 5,000 meters per second, about 15 times faster. So listen, oh you iron men, the truth has potential to move through you in a way faster and more profound and effective than whatever the next fad ministry is going to be, and there's going to be another one sometime, right? It's coming. It goes through you faster. So what is the glorious vision of discipleship? It is that he will use you. A clay pot with a treasure inside to sharpen men for the glory of Christ. And we have already heard that this morning and I'm here to reinforce that and put that before you in here a discipleship context, which I do believe is a key factor as we're talking a lot about evangelism. Because evangelism happens through people. And if it's going to happen through people well and rightly, it will be because they have been sharpened. And how does that happen? Because of you. So, rise up. This is kind of the glorious vision. So, the practical vision, the practical vision. Basically, the three kinds of uh, divisions that I want to give to this are uh, the what and the who and the how. The what and the who and the how. <clears throat> so the what here, what I'm aiming for is, is uh, goals. What are the purposes? What are we trying to accomplish And here I think it's helpful to think about uh, levels. Uh, Kind of biggest goal and then kind of trying to break that down and and, and make that more specific. So the highest goal, I think the the biggest way you can say it in kind of a summary fashion would be, well, we've got biblical statements. Colossians chapter 1, complete in Christ. We have a goal to see men, uh, to, to present men as complete in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of it as having people reach the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
I mean, that's, that's the goal. That is the top. Romans 8 speaks about being conformed to the image of Christ. And, and even our second half of the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. I mean, if that's accomplishing that, having taught to obey all, there's the goal. All right? Now, that is a very big goal, and that is out there, and there it is that Scripture lays before us. But we, we, we've got to do something with that. And so we need to begin to make that uh, more manageable, and Scripture does that as well. It, it, it speaks of this in, in lots of different ways. And so to take another step kind of down and wider would be uh, to speak of three particular things that I found really helpful. And this is something I, I pulled from the book, The Trellis and the Vine. It's a, it's a great resource I recommend to you. It, uh, it uh, has a discipleship focus to it, a little more directed towards kind of ministry and ministry leadership and that kind of thing. But there in that book, they speak of convictions, character, and competence. Convictions, character, and competence. And that is really helpful, I find. That, you know, you got your three C's and it just it fits well. And, and I think it does a good job of covering the spectrum of what we're aiming for in, in presenting men complete in Christ. Convictions, character, and competence. But I'd really like to take another step of specificity and try to break that down a little bit more because I think there's, there are even some uh, features that need to be brought to the front of each of those. So when we come to convictions... <coughs> What kind of convictions are we talking about? What is needed? There are two that I think are particularly crucial. And that is convictions about the Word of God and convictions about the Gospel. Convictions about the Scripture and convictions about the Gospel. What you believe about the necessity, the purity, the power of the Bible is going to shape all else. And I think about, uh, you remember in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is risen from the dead. It's the, the men, uh, the, the, the travelers on the road to Emmaus. They're saying, we thought he was the one. Jesus is there now walking with them. They don't know it. We thought he, they're saying, we thought he was the one. Jesus begins opening up the scripture. Their heart is burning. And once it becomes revealed, Jesus he brings down kind of this rebuke that I don't want to hear. And I don't want the people I'm working with and discipling and, and being with to ever heal. He says to them in Luke 24, 25, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. I don't want to hear that. And I don't want the people I'm with to hear that. Foolish. Why? Because you're not Believing the Word of God. I want to make men like a Luther, right? Who say, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Because that shapes everything else. And that, and that alone is what's going to allow you to stand the way he did. And if you're not feeling it already, 
we are moving into a culture where, there you, where you're going to either stand like that or you're not going to stand at all. So you better get there. And you better get your people there. And the person that you're sitting across the chair with to say, the Word of God is my bread. It is life. It is sufficient. That is conviction that's needed in a, in a crucial way. Secondly, the, the, the gospel has another conviction. What you believe about the centrality and transform, transformative power of the gospel is essential. Right? We want to be Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. And we got to hear a great detailing of that in the previous message, right? The college professor to the dropout, the drunkard to the corner office professional, everything in between. There is no spectrum of deadness. Oh, that guy's dead, but that guy's really dead. No, we're all dead. It's got different manifestations, and there's only one power that can conquer it, and it is the good news. That is it, and we want people to get that and to feel that. D.A. Carson, a professor at Trinity Seminary, a lot of great stuff comes from D.A. Carson. He's been teaching forever. And he said something that should perk your ears up. He's talking about his whole career of teaching. And he said, if I have learned anything in 40 years of teaching... It is that my students don't learn everything I teach them. What they learn is what I am excited about and what I exude confidence in that had better be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We want to be producing in men a magnificent obsession. And it only comes from seeing and knowing the, passion, the, the power, the transformative power of Jesus Christ. It also is sufficient and glorious. And we want them to get that. So as we talk about convictions, convictions, character, and competence, in that realm of convictions, we want the Word of God and the Gospel to be primary. And to be aiming at that in all we're doing. Now, after that, there's lots of, lots of other convictions. There's a lot more particularities. Scripture says a lot. And so we, we want all those to be developing. And you want to focus on those and speak to them and look for them. But those are two driving ones. What about character? Convictions, character, competence. What about character? Well, there also, I think there are two primary drivers of character that need to be honed in on. The first is the nature of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Again, Luther, you remember in uh, the 95 Thesis, that first thesis is where he said that the whole of life is repentance. 
Yes, it is. Uh, we need to be very good at knowing what that is because the Christian life starts with repentance and faith. Repent and trust in Christ. Turn, turn from this, turn to that, from sin to Christ. Repentance and faith that starts a Christian life, and it is the Christian life till the day we die. Repentance and faith, and therefore, wherever character is going to be, it's going to be there because there is an understanding, a grasp of repentance and faith. Understanding what those are, the facets of them, what that looks like. So living a life of repentance and then living a life of faith, of what, uh, what trusting in Christ is, what is the walk of faith, and, and, and what that is going to mean. So repentance and faith. The second thing to highlight in character, I believe, is the nature of love. Uh, biblical, godly love. It is the two great commandments, right? The greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. These are, the, upon these hang the whole law. So you have got to be drilling down into what love is in actuality. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? If you can speak with power, that, like angels that have not love, you are gone. If you know all knowledge and mysteries have not love, if you give your Life to the flames, but have not love. There's no profit. So you've got to get this one right. You've got to be able to do this. You've got to know what this is. Character is going to flow out how well you love others. And that means knowing what love is. And guys, I guarantee you, it is a muddled, deceptive mess. Love is love. Hear that all the time. Well, you got some work to do because <laughs> it ain't anywhere close to that. You can't define a word with a word anyway. All right. So, but you, but you got to define it with something. So, what is it going to be? All right. There's our task. This is the job to fill that out. That's going to be a litmus test for character. The third thing: convictions, character competence competence this is the one that speaks of skill and we want skill to be in kind of all these other areas as well we want to attain convictions skillfully we want to attain character skillfully we want to do ministry stuff skillfully i'm thankful for the guy's over here putting this thing on my head, right? And where does the ear go? You know, some, you got to have someone who knows how this stuff works. And so there's a practicality level of just uh, a normal making things work and having things work well and, and, and operating well. There's a ministry kinds of skill. One of the best words for that is the word imitation. Imitation. It is a biblical word. At least six explicit references to imitate and the call to imitate. A number of others uh, say basically the same thing of, of following and, and example. Competence through imitation is what makes apprenticeships what they are. I mean, that's why people do them. Uh, this is not uh, 
uh, brain surgery. Uh, we, we need to watch people. We need to see people. Apprenticeships are beneficial for that very reason. You get to see theory taken and applied into real life. And you find out some things work really well on paper and they do not pan out. And that is what imitation is to show. That that does not work, but this does. Let me show you. Jesus spoke of this. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Imitation. Imitation. And probably one of the one of the easiest ways to see that kind of packaged in a in a nice little summary statement is a good good thing to keep in mind is um is this little progression and that is I do and you watch you get with somebody I do I'm going to show you I'm going to do this and you just watch so I do you watch and then I do and you help come here do this let me show you all right I do you watch. And then it flips. All right, you do, and I'm going to help you as you do it. And then the last is you do, and I'm just going to watch. And that's when you start thanking God, right? Oh, good, I don't have to, I don't have to, I can hand this thing over, all right? And that's the goal. We, we have got a baton to pass, and you need to be passing it. But there's a progression for it. It doesn't just happen. Uh, you guys know that there are uh, ages that people segment world history into, Stone Age and Bronze Age. And, well, there's the Iron Age. There was the Iron Age, but uh, that was the age where they, they figured out how to smelt uh, ore and, and extract metals out of that and, and work with them. And, and smelting uh, was able to get them iron, and now they can make iron tools and all that, the Iron Age. But what's kind of curious is that there were actually iron tools before the Iron Age. Well, how did that happen? You know how it happened? It's because of meteorites. Meteorites came in from space, hit the planet, they found them, and you know what? There's iron. No smelting required. They were able to just take it right there and make, make the tool uh, without knowing how to smelt. It was pre-made. It was already there. That is what discipleship is, especially in this competency aspect. A disciple is able to watch someone who has already been smelted. God has been refining that man, that person of their sin and foolishness. And I know We've got men here who say, oh man, I have been smelted. I know it, right? Because you've been through it. It's got different titles, the school of hard knocks and all that. But the, the biblical title is pruning, is discipline. God has been refining many of you for many years. That smelting process has been happening. And so just as ancient people were able to get iron tools before the Iron Age so men in your church are going to be able to get skills and wisdom without having to go through that very painful smelting process. Now, they'll have their own smelting process, but you can say, hey, don't do what I did, right? I, you want to know how stupid I was? Look at this, right? And just have them bypass a lot of foolishness. 
Oh, the time that can be saved and the pain that can be saved in so many lives if you would come into their life and say, don't do that. Please don't do that. Why? Two reasons. Look. Look at what the Scripture says. It says. It speaks to this. And, and look. Look at my life. I, this, this was not good. And here's what repentance meant in my life in this regard. And you've just saved that guy 10 years of heartache by the grace of God if he, if he listens. So that is that's the what. The, the what. What about the who? I'd like to drill down into this one because all of us should be asking here, yeah, all right, who, who is doing this? Who is going to be doing this? Now, as I've said, everybody is to be involved in one way or another, in one side or another, right? To, to be the one sharpening or to be the one being sharpened. And, and obviously none of us are ever out of that process fully, but, but there is an emphasis switch that, will, that should happen in our lives. The real question here is, who, who should be discipling somebody? Like, who's qualified for this? And here I would just, so I want to do two things here. First, just point you back to the, the convictions that we've just talked about, of uh, the convictions and the character and the facets of them. I mean, one way you can even just start into some self-evaluation is to be asking yourself, what kind of view do I have of the Word of God? How high of a view do I have it? Is it shaping convictions in me? Is it driving me? Is it, is it my desire? I, is there a hunger and thirst for it? Do I long for it as for a new babe? Is that there or is that not? Is the gospel a magnificent obsession within me? Do I, have, do I exude confidence in it because I know of its power? You need to ask yourself, on the character side, is repentance and faith? Is there, is there noticeable, recognizable places where repentance and faith have been worked out and seen in, in real life? And then in love, do, do I love people in recognizable ways according to God's word? Because by the way, if I left you hanging there, how do we know what love is? We know what love is by this, that we love God and obey his commandments. How well do you know the word? Because how well you know the word will define how well you can love somebody. If you don't know the word, you, you don't know what love is. And you won't be able to love well. And so, so there's just some self-evaluation you can already start to bring. Where am I in, in those convictions and character issues? Even if, though, you are saying, yeah, I'm good. I think I got it. Uh, here's where I would next say, the best way to answer that is by church affirmation. Church affirmation, meaning your pastors and your elders need to give a stamp of approval that yes, we are seeing those things in your life, those convictions and those characters and in, in the nature of the word and the gospel and love and faith and repentance. We're seeing those things. You need the church to bring an affirmation. 
<clears throat> Why? Because Lone Ranger is not a ministry title or a ministry mindset. No go. Full stop. Lone Rangers have a tendency to become lone wolves. And wolves do not work well in a context of sheep and shepherds. All right? <clears throat> you are not a, a lone minister doing your thing while I'm called by God. Well, let's see. Let's test that. Even in Acts chapter 13, the Spirit of God raising up Paul Barnabas, the church was involved. The church laid hands. The church prayed and fasted. Paul and Barnabas didn't get a pass. You get no pass, all right? You need to be, you need to be stamped. You need to be approved. You need to be affirmed. You need a pastor, an elder, saying, yes, we see that. Why? Because the pastors and elders, they have a charge from God. They are accountable before God for the souls of these saints. They will give an account before God. And because of that, they need to be part of the process. They need to be involved. They need to be in the know. Because they're giving an account. And I'll just tell you, in that kind of position, uh, uh, I want to know. I want to know. Do not, do not be going around because I have to give an account for that. And uh, so talk with me. Let's talk over these things. Where are you? What is, what is happening? And tell me what you're thinking and where you are. And, and, and I know this. So, so very practically, you, sh- you should just go to your pastor, go to your elder, and say, I would like to disciple this guy or these couple guys. What do you think? Is that, is that wise? Should I do that? Now, they, they might say, uh, they might say, yeah, oh, yes. And, and now, and now the, the ball is in motion here. They could say, uh, not yet, not yet. To which I would then, the following question that should be around your lips then is, all right, then who should disciple me? then what do I need to do next? Who's the guy that you would put into my life for moving forward? Who is it? Tell me. I, I mean, that should be the next thing. Now, there could also be uh, kind of a middle ground. It could be <clears throat> not yet <clears throat> for that guy or those guys, but I got someone in mind that might work for you. How about Billy here, the high schooler? Oh, man. And so here's where you got to guard your heart, right? Oh, Billy. Not Billy, man, no. He, 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 just, he just plays video games, right? I mean, so I want to I wanna grow up in, in, a man, an oak of righteousness. Well, guess what, man? Oaks of righteousness start out as saplings playing video games, all right? That's where they start, and, and, and you can get in there. And so here's what I would say. Just submit to, submit to the leadership of the church that God has put over you, and then go play some video games, all right? Just start in. And, and I guarantee you that's, that this, the questions can start, and the discipleship can start pretty quick. Why, why is it, Billy, that, uh, uh, 
um, Grand Theft Auto, huh? That's what you want to play? Grand Theft Auto? What? Tell me about that. What, what made you like that one? What, what, what kind of, uh, what do you think Jesus would think about that, you know? Does, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, does, hey, does the Bible say anything about video games? Well, okay, now, now we're probably getting into it, all right? Let's, let's talk about that and, and start building some convictions about the Word of God. Man, the Word of God would even touch on video games. Well, let's, let's see. Let's get into it. Let's try it, you know? So that, that is the who. I mean, that's probably the, the, my big call to you is the church must be involved. Get a stamp, get a stamp of approval there. So the what, the who, and lastly, the how. As we come to to the last one, this this how question, I I would just put before you that key command, the the one that we're really honing in on here of teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. I mean, this this is our call. We're wanting to teach all these commands. We want to develop these doctrinal commitments of that obedience, undergirding all those commands with uh, these convictions and the character that will, that will bear them out. But a key word there in the command, teaching them to obey all the commanded, is the word them. Teaching them. And that is you are teaching a real, live person. A person with a history, a person with strengths and weaknesses, a person with certain propensities to sin, a person that has probably in some degree some spiritual growth or some spiritual knowledge. This is is a person, and the more that you can factor in all that they are and where they're at and what's going on, if you can factor that in and bring that to bear upon what you're doing and how you're thinking about it and the direction you go, the, the more effective it's going to be. And so here, is the, it, this really is kind of, I guess, another call to, to love. If I'm going to love this person well, and I'm wanting to disciple them, I want to know them well. <clears throat> I want to know what, where they're at and what's happening. I want to know the, it, the particular issues. And that is the glory of discipleship. I'm, you know, when, when the pastor's up preaching, this is, this is big and broad, but eyeball to eyeball, the application gets specific. You're able, as I say, to touch it with a needle. And, and that's what you're wanting to do, to touch it with a needle in ways that are going to be most helpful to them. And, and that just, and so there is a, um, a kind of specificity here where the call to you is be wise, be smart, love them. Look, ask, um, be, have, a, have some dis- responsiveness about yourself to, to get where they're at and to address them right there. Having said that, let, let me just kind of give you some, some big picture, some, some bigger kind of categories to think of in terms of some approach. Um, one would be in terms of a, approaches of discipleship, I would call maybe just kind of life-driven discipleship. Uh, 
so here I'm thinking some the differences would be like, or the different categories, life-driven discipleship, um, issue-driven dr- discipleship, and resource-driven discipleship. So by life-driven, life-driven discipleship, what I'm speaking about here is really kind of the broadest of, of uh, approaches. You know, this is kind of the, the follow me as I follow Christ, as, as Paul says. Uh, this is Jesus walking with disciples in all of life. Three years, they're living together, doing all kinds of things together. Uh, this is parents raising children. And I would just put that plug in here. Parents, what is your job? It is discipleship. That is what parenting is. You are all these things that we've talked about, you're doing. And, and it is the highest, greatest, most glorious form of discipleship. Why? Because it is full on for 18 years. And guess what? You are discipling them whether you are thinking about it or not. Whatever you are, they're going to pick up. And every dad in here has had that horrific, horrifying experiences of looking over and seeing them do what you do, and you don't like that, you know? Why? Because they're imitating you. This is, this is the highest form of discipleship, which is why we uh, declare the glories of stay-at-home mothers. Why? Because they're building people for the kingdom. This is awesome. There's nothing in a career that can compete with that. And men, you are supporting that, and you are doing that all yourself. You are charged with the, the training and exhortation uh, of your children. And so uh, this is life-driven discipleship. Now, uh, that, that's, that's the ultimate, the children. Back from that, people, guys in your church, you know, it usually isn't living with you. Sometimes it is, and, and all the better, right? I mean, that's... You're, you're getting to see it all, and, and, and that is terrific. I mean, if you can pull that off, if you can uh, have, have scenarios like that, so maybe college situations, there's ease, uh, more ease of that, that's all the better. Uh, it doesn't have to be a 24-7 kind of thing. It could just be um, a wide-open kind of discipleship. That is, um, I'm aiming, I've, I've got a you know, I've got a guy, and, and I'm aiming for all three C's at all times of that convictions, character, competence. Um, we're addressing all kinds of issues. We are using all kinds of resources. They are, you know, if I'm going somewhere, they're going with me. If we're doing something, they're going with me. Uh, you know, they're, they're coming on vacations. I mean, so it's just, there's a wide openness to it. And, and it is great. Now, maybe the warning here is beware of haphazardness. You know, it's, it's so wide open that you don't really have a direction and, uh, and then you're not really accomplishing things as well as you might think you are. So, so be careful there and, and have, have those goals kind of in your mind. So that's kind of a life-driven, wide open. The second would be like issue-driven discipleship. Issue-driven. And this is discipleship where there is a specific conviction that you're wanting to hone in on, or a specific character issue that you want to hone in on uh, or, or, or a specific competency to do something, to be able to do it well. And this 
this would definitely be a place for some of you to consider starting. That is to say, um, you know, you're hesitant about <coughs> what, uh, how well you could do some of this, but there was something in your life that the Lord really did a work in your life. Some of you may have been a rotten husband. I mean, you were just pathetic. And uh, just every bad stereotype, apathetic and, and uncaring and, and all that. And the Lord delivered you and grew you. And, and you can bring some very rich, specific counsel, discipleship to that area. And, and, and that would be a great place to start to say, I, I'd like some guys that want to be a better husband because because I'm way better than I used to be and I know the journey that that took and what the Lord did and what he used and I can, I can easily transfer that into another guy. Maybe some of you have been delivered from pornography and you know about what that takes and what that is and the repentance called for and you could get a couple guys and not even for maybe that traditional accountability group but for like a discipleship group meaning you're you're teaching them about lust and idolatry and foolishness and radical amputation things that you have known and worked through and you can pour that out it's issue driven and there's there's a great help for that or maybe the uh, the skill side someone wants to become a bible teacher they want to they want to handle the word better well that's awesome to sit down to learn how to Rightly divide the word and, and, and how to make an outline and what's going, what's going to be an effective way and, and how, to, how to teach in big settings and small settings and kids. I mean, that is a competency that's needed and, and you can do that. So think about issue-driven discipleship. Uh, lastly would be the resource-driven discipleship. And, and here, you know, you're thinking about a particular thing you're wanting to and, and here's where maybe that programmatic idea is, is more at play. Like there's something you'd w- want to complete. You've got a, a book that's a rich book to go through. Yeah, I mean, that, that is still good. A, a workbook or a study series. There are great resources. I, you know, by the way, we are in the golden age of resources. Uh, there's so much at your fingertips, and there's some rich and great materials. The problem is, there's also a wealth of trash. <laughs> so, uh, if you can start bringing out some great stuff and and um, dive in, I mean that that is another way as well. Call there would be just be careful not to become a slave to that. Uh, again, you want to love them well, and and you want to be thinking about. Are they getting it? Is this helpful? What, what questions do we, do we, has this raised? And so just be, be thinking in terms of that. Guys, there's plenty more, plenty more that could be said um, about helpful ways of discipleship, you know, things of bringing them in, into your home, becoming a good question asker, scheduling and personality types. Uh, there's plenty to think through. <clears throat> And there's always more sharpening that can happen. Uh, all of us are wanting to get better in this and do this better. I mean, I, I, I feel that all the time. Like, I, um, I want to be able to help others better than I am. But the call is, <sighs> this is great commission work. And you are called into it. And I would say evangelism is going to hinge on 
some of this as well. We're, we want to, we're compelling you out, but uh, we, it needs to be done well. There needs to be some competency in it. And yes, God will use you know, crooked sticks to hit a straight path. He can use, uh, he can use uh, us in all of our inadequacies, but um, we are aiming for honoring, glorifying, biblical well done stuff. We want to do it. We want to do it better. We want to excel still more. And so I'm calling you into it. And, and here, just to put this seed in your head, it is not uncommon for some of the most important and impactful moments of the Ironman conference to be happening in the car ride home. And I would just call you to start thinking and praying about that of talking to that guy and seeing where he's at and what he's thinking about and maybe uh, think about that question of, would you like to get together? And, and, and here, again, I'm assuming church involvement and elder and pastor understanding, and so uh, I'm not calling for a rogue action here, but, but to, be, uh, to be thinking about, uh, all right, we were thinking all about this today. Uh, what do you want to do? What? What would, what would be helpful to start implementing this? And uh, so car ride home. Car ride home. Men, I, I am imploring you. This is great commission work. And there is nothing more glorious, more loving than what? For a man to lay down his life for another. And it happens in face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, personal discipleship. May God speed you by His Spirit for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, stir up these men to give their lives for others in specific, particular ways, in a one-another kind of way, uh, an eyeball-to-eyeball kind of way, to give their life to see another man sharpened for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.